being a mother is an attitude, not biology. An unknown writer once said, if you give me any three words, I'll write you a story about my mother. Story is in our DNA, and of course, so is she. We gathered stories from men and women in all walks of life. Stories about the ones we have, the ones we are, the ones we know. This includes stories about stepmothers, godmothers, grandmothers, birth moms, foster moms, the mom up the street. It includes stories about not being a mom and stories about mothering in other ways. No matter how you slice it, if it's not one thing, it's your mother. Hi everybody, I'm Lupe Padilla Mitchell. I'm a life coach of mothers and families and a mother of three adult daughters. I'm Katie Mitchell, actress, writer, storyteller, and mom of a teenage son. Life's a beautiful thing if you can navigate all the loss. Once your child dies, you're still a mother to them. You find ways to live with the pain. In this episode, our guest shares the death of her six-year-old son and her journey of navigating that loss. Chanel shares how she listened and trusted her inner voice. She reminds us to be respectful of each other's grief process. Putting boundaries around grief helped her marriage survive such a loss. Our guest today is Chanel Brenner. Her poems have appeared in numerous poetry journals from Rattle, Poet Lore, Barrow Street, Muzzle Magazine, New Ohio Review, and many more. Her poem, July 28, 2012, won first prize in the Right Place at the Right Times contest, judged by Ellen Bass. She is the author of Vanilla Milk, a memoir told in poems. So I just want to welcome you, Chanel Brenner. We are thrilled to have you. Love your writing so much and really think that you're a valuable voice to mothers. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. You're welcome. So um, we were thinking maybe you might want to give us just a little bit of setup for the story that you're about to read for us. Yes. So um, the piece that I'm going to read is the time frame is weeks after our older son, Riley, died. And this was in 2011. He died from a rare condition, um, a brain AVM, also known as an arteriovenous malformation. Um, that he was born with. And he died when he was six, six and a half years old. And we were looking for a grief support group. And in this piece, we thought we were going to an intake meeting to join a grief group. Okay. Wow. And the title of the piece is Trying to Get Pregnant After the Death of a Child. I'm still pissed off at the therapist we saw three weeks after Riley died. The way she lectured us on the stages of grief, as if we faced an exam. When I told her we wanted to have another child, she said, it's too soon to think about it, maybe in a few years. I'm 41, I have to think about it. Well, we can't talk about that today. My stoicism masked my anger, or she ignored it. While I focused on her immaculate desk, void of photos, just a framed print of a rainbow over the words, and when it rains on your parade, look up rather than down. Without the rain, there would be no rainbow. Sherry Chin. You can live a full life with one child, she said. I wanted to walk out, 
but I sat motionless in the straight back chair, afraid that any movement would generate a tidal wave of grief. She charged us $185 for a precise 50-minute session and gave us a book on grief she co-wrote with a colleague. I tried once to read it, but got nothing from it. I still wonder about her personal life. Did she have kids? Had she ever lost someone close to her? Had she somehow been spared from tragedy for 60-something years? What bothers me most about her statement is its untruth for parents who lose children. I agree that we can live full lives with one child, but full life and dead child create paradox. Our compulsion to have a baby trumped the therapist's advice. Our need to hope to create a fuller future for us and Riley's younger brother, Desmond. We clung to hope like floating debris in a tsunami. For the next three years, I went to fertility specialists, tracked my cycle, took medication. Other therapists might have counseled against it, encouraged taking time to grieve, but the focus on activity and hope softened my grieving process. When we asked the therapist about support, she told us losing a six-year-old was so rare, no groups existed, as if those for infant or teenage losses wouldn't welcome us. We never heard from her again and found a less traditional therapist, a hypnotherapist, who had lost her husband in a car accident on his birthday when they had young children. She supported our trying to get pregnant, helping us navigate that and our grief. After month after month of disappointment, the side effects of the drugs, and warnings about my old eggs, I wanted to stop. But my husband wasn't ready, and I wanted to feel I'd done everything I could to give Desmond a sibling. We hadn't had a successful IVF cycle because I was so sensitive to the medication. I found a new doctor who recommended minimal stimulation IVF and a six-month plan, three surgeries, then transfer the embryos two months after the last surgery, with the goal of retrieving one good egg each time. It took a year, and we ended up with one embryo. I thought many times of giving up, moving resentfully through the motions. I looked forward to finishing regardless of the outcome, but enshrined my hope in the frozen embryo, fearing the potential loss, all that energy, time, and money invested in seven cells. When I didn't get pregnant, my husband and I let go. We both attained peace about having one living child, and I have no regrets. When Desmond tells me he wants a brother, I know I did all I could. Mm. Wow. Um, it's a beautiful piece. It's a, it's a great piece. I, I just like how you talk about the first therapist you went to and how you kind of stood behind your feelings and didn't think that they were wrong. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, your feelings weren't wrong just because she was a professional. Yeah. It's a, it's a personal decision. I felt yes. like, and I, I was, yeah, I was, I was shocked by her directions on that. I'm shocked by her directions on that. Too. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Were you writing before Riley passed away, or did, is this something that was part of your recovery? 
Yes. No, I was writing before. Um, actually, when I when he was about two years old, um, there was a moment I was watching his dad and him play in the backyard. And this is mm-hmm. before we had our second second son, Desmond. Mm-hmm. And I just had this moment of, I need something more. And I had heard about these writing classes in Los Angeles with Jack Grapes. <laughs> and I... <laughs> And I just, I'd heard a couple of times and I'm just like, I just yelled to my, to Lee, I yelled, I'm going to take this class. I'm signing up for it right now. And so I just felt this call to write. And so I had started in his class. I wrote a lot of pieces about motherhood and what I was going through, just being, being a young mother. And, you know, so I have a lot of, a lot of things I wrote about Riley back then, which, which mean a lot to me now. Wow. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know that I studied with Jack Grapes. Did you know that? I did from a previous podcast. Yes, the Alexis Rohn Fanter. is a great uh, episode if no one's heard it. (laughs) Yeah, she's a dear friend of mine. I mean, she told us immediately that we should contact you, that you were just such a beautiful writer, and she was correct. But I didn't realize that that you also had the Jack Rapes connection. And, and um, so. we were, yeah, we were in class together. Um, so when Riley died, I was in Jack's class um, with her. She was the first person I met that had also lost a child mm-hmm. after Riley died. He's a yeah. beautiful man, and he can help you through a lot of things. Writing in his class, yes, he just knew the right the right poets to have me study yeah. with. And the right exercises. Exactly. Wow, that's incredible. I'm so, so friggin' moved right now. Yeah, I'm, I am not a writer, but it seems, I mean, everything I know from what Katie has shared, there's just so much healing in knowing how to write. And you hear that through a lot of the pieces that are coming in, just how healing the ability to put words to those feelings are. So, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, I know. It's really when, so when I, you know, I was in the class and when Riley died, the night that he died, I wrote, pretty much wrote my, like, it was my fifth poem, but that's when I really started writing poetry. It's kind of what saved me, really. How long ago did Riley die? Um, It'll be eight years in March. So Desmond is how old now? So he's 10. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he was two. Ah. I see. So he does not remember his brother. He, you know, he, he has some memories, I think, because mm-hmm. it was so um, sudden. But sometimes I, I'm not sure if the memories are um, stories that we've told that he's, you know, memor- that have just kind of gotten cleaned in him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So everybody's journey is different, obviously. We, we said that a minute ago about, you know, the shrink that you were with. And, and certainly the same mm-hmm. is true for every mother who has lost a child. but. Is there one thing that you think is a commonality that you all share in the healing process? I'm just curious, really. I think as far as like the grieving process, I mean, I think it's unique in mm-hmm. that, you know, you don't, once your child dies, you're, you're still a mother to them. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, it, I mean, there's the whole idea of, you know, you don't, of course you don't get over it, you know, and right. you do it. I mean, it's different. Yes. But I feel like, I, I feel like it does get better um, in terms of like just acute pain versus chronic. It's like learning to live with chronic pain. Mm-hmm. You find a way to live with, live right. with it. Yeah. And I, you know, and then having, you know, 
Riley having a younger brother, I feel like, you know, you also have the grief of that, that loss too. So I think it depends on whether you have a living child too, yeah, or not. Is there any one thing that you would offer to mothers listening right now who are in that place of losing a child that might offer them some help? But I think the one thing I would tell a mother out there is that um, to listen to her, listen to uh, the voice that she hears, she knows inside how to survive the death of her child. It's within her. And to not listen Mm -hmm. to outside, um, you know, just kind of like the therapist's advice, not to listen to other people's advice. I believe that every woman who's lost a child knows how they're going to survive it. Yeah, I mean, that's great advice. Listening to your piece with the therapist and stuff, it was one of those things I was like, oh, geez, I hope she's listening to this woman, you know, (laughs) as I read it. And then, you know, then stuff that because she's the professional, she should know. No, you know you. Just like you know your kids, like, you know, there's some things we just know. Yeah. And I I think that everyone has their own grief journey. Agreed. And for me, it was, you know, the voice in my head was right. And the other one was, you know, have another baby. Mm -hmm. And those were the two things that I knew that I was compelled to do that were going to help me survive. Mm -hmm. And it really does always come back to trust ourselves at the bottom of everything we know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I know that it's a large statistic of marriages falling apart after the loss of a child. How did it affect your marriage? Yeah, I actually have a poem I wrote about that that's in my collection, um, Vanilla Milk. And, you know, um, it, we, you know, the therapist that we did find that was a hypnotherapist, Mm -hmm. she, you know, we did actually, we did like joint sessions together and she gave us excellent advice, which, um, I don't remember exactly, but the idea of it was that, you know, that we, we needed to be respectful of each other's grief process and that we weren't going to heal in the same way at the same, you know, as quickly as each other, one of us, you know, and that we weren't always going to be in the same place and that, you know, to really be respectful when the other person tells us, you know, I really can't deal with that right now. I can't talk about Riley right now, or I can't, um, that's just too intense for me. And so I think we really were able to put up good boundaries around around our grief and to be respectful that if the other person was in a good place one day and, and, and then one of us stumbles into a grief to not necessarily go and share it all with the other one. Mm. And I, I feel like that's something that's really helped us. That is beautiful advice. Really. I love that advice. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um. I read something recently that, not quoting it directly, the gist of it was that life is a beautiful thing if you can navigate all the loss. I have a crazy kind of request question because honestly, Lupe and I loved all of your work. Would you want to read another poem for us? I would love to. Good idea. Yeah. Is there one you were interested in? You know the poem, um, it was a Facebook post, Mother, Son, Hike at Solstice, about the picture one posts, and but the real story behind it. You know, everyone posts yeah. the story, but like literally that morning was a shit show. Yeah, your kids look really nice for that picture, but yeah, two seconds ago, you know that was a shit show. 
So yeah, yeah you always want to know what's behind the scenes. I want to know what's behind the scenes. And I was thinking that maybe I would do, we would do a Facebook challenge with this poem and say, post the picture, but tell the truth. I would love that. That would be so cool. Yeah. All right. Facebook post mother-son hike at Solstice Canyon, 183 likes. Look at our wide smiles, muscular legs, blonde hair blowing in wind. Not my clenched jaw, tight neck muscles. See grassy hills, yellow wildflowers, shades of blue. Not me dragging him away from the Xbox. Admire the ocean merging with sky, not the fight in the car. The sun kissed earth, not his complaints of being cold when he wouldn't wear a jacket. Our faces radiant would do, not his car sickness. See the trail's summit, not my fear of him falling off the cliff. Like our heads tilted towards each other. Not someone shouting, smile or else. Fantastic. It was perfect. Yeah, that was perfect. Okay, thank you. That one's a, that one's a challenging one to read. So when we post, when we put up your episode, I'm going to um, do a, a Facebook challenge. Uh, post the pretty picture, tell the ugly story. I love that. So, yeah, I can't wait to see that. <laughs> I think everybody can relate to that. Do you want to read one more or? Um, I could read one more. Well, I do love the, I have times the love for one child. Yeah, let's do that. I have two times the love for one child. Since the death of my older son, I worry that the weight of my love is too heavy. I see my son hunched over, carrying my grief like a load of stones. I worry he'll learn to bask in that love till he sunburns, come to crave the sting and heat of it. I worry that he is forming like a rock in a riverbed, my grief-ridden love rushing over him like white water. I worry that one day a woman will ask him why her love is not enough, and he won't know the answer. Damn, that makes me cry. Oh, thanks. Because it's so true, you know, all those all those building blocks of us as beings and all those um, yes. hurts along the way that we don't even know dinged us, and then we bring that package on in our life, and it's just so beautiful and so honest and so loving toward your son to, to put that down, you know. Thank you. And, and to have the self-awareness, I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. to have the self-awareness that you know your grief is is having, does have, might have an impact on your child. Yeah, I think that's one of the gifts of writing poetry is that um, it kind of slows slows everything down. And I, I feel like I'm much more aware when I write a poem. Yes, yes. I mean... You, de- you, let's see, develop, yes, but you enhance, obviously, your self-awareness when you're taking a look, taking a look, taking a look, so. Yeah. There should be a, a writer's group to help people with grief. You know, I, I agree. There, yeah, as far as the grief group um, 
goes, you know, um, I discovered this amazing organization called Grief Haven when I was sending my book out um, probably a few years ago. And it's um, right here in Los Angeles. And they have, um, she does groups. Um, Her name is Susan Whitmore. And she's an amazing woman who lost her daughter and started this um, foundation, Grief Haven. And they have offered groups for children, um, parents who've lost children and also um, sibling groups. And, um, you know, um, I actually went in and um, did a writing workshop for one of her groups. And it was, it was a pretty incredible experience. Wow. I didn't know about them at all. I'm going to, I'm going to check her out. Yeah. Yeah. She's an amazing woman. I'm so glad that there is a writer's group because it's, there's a lot of power in writing and being able to uh, grab the correct words for your feelings so that they're not just trapped in your body and in your mind as, as in, in, as feelings, but you could connect a word with it. Um, That's one thing I'm learning through all of these stories Mm -hmm. that have come in from the podcast that, um, that ability to express um, oneself is so healing, powerful, and a gift to those that are listening. Yeah, I agree. It is really a powerful, powerful and healing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is a beautiful episode. Yeah. And I'm so glad that Alexis turned uh, us on to you. She was right. <laughs> and she's a, a wonderful poet and soul that interview with her is amazing too so anybody who hasn't listened to episode six definitely go do that that's a that's a powerful episode too yeah well thank you for being a guest thank you so much for having me okay that's the show and to find out more about our writers go to our website instagram or twitter if it's not one thing it's your mother and that's the number one not the word one want to do something to help us Go wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review us. Five stars would be nice. You can say something complimentary because you know what? It really does help other people find our show. And also share us with a friend because word of mouth is the best compliment. Join us next week.